Yama, I'm your host Nari Pakai and welcome to NITV Radio for this Friday, 12th of January. Coming up on today's show, NITV Radio's Saka Pachova speaks with Dennis Golding, Gamilaroi man and artist. He speaks on his art making in bringing together Indigenous cultural identity and contemporary symbols of strength and power in his artworks. And we revisit a conversation had with David Leha, Gamilaroi and Tongan man, more famously known as singer Radical Sun. And we share stories from NITV News Team from their Summer Yarn series. All these stories and more coming to you after the weekly news wrap-up. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. Set to take the stage, rock theatre show honouring the legend of Australia's Warumpi band who made history as the first rock band to sing in Aboriginal languages. Literature musician Jason Butcher is rehearsing to tell his his father's story and says practising his father's songs is an emotional experience. Jason's father, Sammy Butcher, was one of the band's founders and now helps younger members of the community to make and record music. He is the Northern Territory nominee for the 2024 Australian of a Year Award. Warumpiri was formed in 1980 and wrote iconic Australian songs like Blackfella, Whitefella and My Island Home. And my island home My island home My island Ilbajiri Theatre Company's Rachel Maza says the show is what Australia needs after the failure of this year's voice referendum. The show, titled Big Name No Blankets, will premiere at Sydney Festival between January 10 and 14th. Western Australia's hardwood timber industry is in limbo as it awaits the approval of an environmental assessment of alumna mining giant Alcoa. The US-listed mining company has plans to clear part of the state's forest in Western Australia, which the state's hardwood timber industry is hoping will supply logs for timber supplies. However, the plan is to be closely examined by environmental regulators after the recent state ban on commercial logging of the native hardwood that came into effect. The Environmental Protection Authority says it will carefully scrutinise the impacts of Alcoa's proposed activities and in the meantime will allow Alcoa to operate under strict conditions. The Forest Industries Federation say they expect around 10,000 tonnes of logs to be provided per annum under these conditions. But the ban is causing concerns about where the long-term timber supply will come from. 
Agricultural Minister Murray Watt has criticised opposition leader Peter Dutton for his stance on the Australian Day merchandise issue. Mr Dutton previously called for Australians to boycott supermarket chain Woolworths after they announced that they would not be releasing merchandise for the celebration of Australia Day this year. The supermarket giants cited the decline in demand in recent years as well as the issue needing broader discussion in community as their reason for the decision. Matt Watts says the opposition leader is more concerned with scoring political points than he is solving the real issues affecting Australians. I think it really shows the kind of priorities of Peter Dutton. Rather than thinking about the things that are priorities for Australians, like taking pressure off cost of living while not adding to inflation, he's out there fighting yet another culture war, talking about what kind of products that supermarkets sell. Uh, I don't think that's the kind of priority that most Australians have right now. They're thinking about how they can pay their supermarket bills rather than what kind of thongs they can buy in a supermarket. A new report reveals fewer than one in four GP clinics will bulk bill every patient who walks through the door. By bulk billing, doctors bill Medicare instead of the patient, so there's no out-of-pocket cost for the visit to the doctor. A total of 514 clinics across Australia that bulk billed all patients at the start of the year had stopped by November 2023. Online healthcare directory Clean Bill contacted more than 6,800 clinics across Australia for the report. Its findings that the national bulk billing rate for doctors accepting new patients now sits at 24.2%. Average out-of-pocket costs for GP visits are the highest in New South Wales, ACT and Tasmania. A dam worth $1.2 billion in Queensland is set to be rebuilt following an assessment triggered by safety concerns. Experts had expressed fears that the wall of the Paradise Dam in Brisbane's north would collapse due to damage it suffered by Cyclone Oswald in 2013. A report showed the wall, which had lowered by six metres, to avert a disaster, could not be repaired. State and federal governments invested around $600 million each to restore the dam last year. But operator Sunwater says the dam's wall is too severely damaged and work will begin soon for the construction of the new dam in its place. Northern Territory Police have arrested three men in Alice Springs in relation to the suspicious death of a 19-year-old. The body of Yil Deng Gatluak was found along the dirt road on New Year's Day. Last night, or earlier in the week, 21-year-old, 20-year-old and 17-year-olds were taken into custody. Police believe the victim was known to those arrested. Assistant Commissioner Travis Worst says the investigation remains ongoing. So we're investigating a homicide, so the death of a person. Uh, Charges will be laid in due course. I cannot give you a definitive timeline. Northern Territory Police say they are providing support to the deceased's family based in Melbourne. Yesterday they spoke with Northern Territory Chief Minister in Alice Springs. 
social media users are accusing platforms like TikTok, Instagram and Facebook of censoring pro-Palestinian content through removing posts, reducing visibility of certain content and even blocking some users. The practice known as shadow banning occurs when social media platforms mute certain users' visibility and greatly reduces the reach of certain posts without any warning for the users affected. Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, says the issue is caused by a bug and denies accusations of censorship. Research fellow at the Centre for Democracy and Technology, Gabriel Nicholas, told France 24 that shadow banning is very difficult to prove or disprove. So there's one possibility that it's a bug. Um, There's another possibility, though, that um, companies' detection systems for trying to determine what is terrorist content and reducing that, how much that appears to people's feeds, is accidentally picking up pro-Palestinian content. A new report has found the owner of social media platform X, formerly Twitter, has made significant cuts to global trust and safety staff. The eSafety Commissioner report suggests trust and safety staff have been reduced by a third, including 80% reduction in the number of safety engineers. The commissioner says the reduction of staff in key public policy roles could have implications for Australian users. New federal legislation has now come into effect, making it illegal to perform the Nazi salute in public or display or trade in Nazi hate symbols. The legislation passed in Parliament on December 6. It makes it a criminal offence to publicly display prohibited symbols and to trade items bearing these symbols, including those used by Nazis and other terrorist organisations such as ISIL. Attorney General Mark Dreyfus says the laws ensure no one in Australia will be allowed to glorify or profit from the acts and symbols that celebrate Nazis and their evil ideology. Devere Abramovich is the chairman of the Anti-Defamation Commission. He told Channel 9 there has been a sudden uptick in online sales of the items bearing Nazi symbolism. I'm sickened and disgusted by the rush to auction these blood-stained items. And I have no doubt that white supremacists and neo-Nazis would be buying these items not just to showcase them in their homes, but also to recruit new members. The bill expressly excludes conduct that is done for religious, academic, educational, artistic and literary and scientific or journalistic purposes. It will be the responsibility of prosecutions to prove that the alleged conduct falls outside of those exemptions. The nation's two most populous states are recording a spike in COVID-19 infections driven by Christmas and New Year's celebrations. The emerging JN1 variant is what is spreading. New South Wales Health Spokesman Jeremy McGulty says there hasn't been this many people getting COVID in about a year. The JN1 variant is more resistant to previous immunity or vaccination, although it's not necessarily more infectious. 
Health authorities are urging the public to get up to date with their COVID vaccinations. As workplaces try to tempt or force employees back into the office into the new year, experts warn flexible working arrangements are here to stay. Many organisations are offering monetary bonuses or enforcing penalties to increase days worked in the office. While widespread working from home during COVID in the pandemic. But Senior Lecturer of Business Administration at RMIT University, Melissa Wheeler, says flexible working arrangements have allowed more people to participate in the workforce. She says the trend is here to stay in 2024 and employees who don't adapt will see their workers go elsewhere. Flexible work arrangements can mean so many things. Um, Probably the most common thing that people think about is remote working or working from home, but it can also be things like flexi time, compressed schedules, um, job sharing, and many more options. Flexible work, in my opinion, is only limited by the creativity that we are willing to accept what it could look like. Former Labor Minister Craig Emerson has been appointed to lead national review into Australia's supermarket sector amid soaring grocery prices. The review will examine the relationship supermarkets have with suppliers amid growing questions about the gap between what they are paying suppliers and what customers are having to pay. The recommendations from this review are expected to be released by the middle of the year. A Senate inquiry into supermarket prices to consumers is expected later on in the year. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese says supermarkets had a duty to make sure they are providing affordable options for all Australians, especially when they're making savings off of those prices. New South Wales police say an alleged plot to kill members of controversial rap group was likely motivated by a conflict between organised crime gang and the would-be victims. Detectives have arrested the accused coordinator of the criminal cell, allegedly behind multiple contract kidnappings, and a plan to target Sydney-based drill group 1-4. Four members of the group were the alleged targets and and the defeated murder plot. The accused criminal cell coordinator has been arrested in a raid at Cartwright in Sydney's southwest on Thursday morning. The 26-year-old is expected to be charged with a range of conspiracy, drug and firearm offences. Organised Crime Squad Commander Peter Foe says investigators have identified that the crime cell has taken on a contract to murder the four high-profile men. In football, the Socceroos are only days away from the opening game of their 2023 Asian Cup campaign against India. Graham Arnold's men are highly optimistic ahead of the challenge and are hoping they can do better than in 2019 where they were eliminated in the quarterfinals. Goalkeeper and captain Matt Ryan remains doubtful as he is still struggling to recover from a facial injury that he suffered in December. Midfielder Connor Metcalf, 
who will be participating in his first major tournament as a member of the Socceroos, says the experience of older players is invaluable. What they did at the World Cup, the boys, was unbelievable and I think they'll bring that experience into this uh, tournament now. Um, and for me personally, you know, of, you know, representing a country is unbelievable, um, whether it's a friendly or for qualifying matches, but when it's a tournament, it's, it's just it feels like it's just different. You know, you, you really going out, each game really matters and, and um, I just yeah, I can't wait to play. Matilda's star Sam Kerr has undergone surgery for an ACL injury which has devastated her Olympic dream. The 30-year-old ruptured her ACL during training at Chelsea Football Club's mid-season camp in Morocco earlier in the week. Chelsea boss Emma Hayes says the club's star striker had gone under the knife after she had been in a simple and innocuous everyday movement during training. Miss Hayes says she was gutted after finding her key striker and did not want to speculate on Kerr's future in the club. And that's NITV Radio's wrap-up of the week. Thank you for listening to the news. Welcome back. You're listening to NITV Radio. Coming up... Saka Petrova speaks with Dennis Golding, Gamilaroi man and artist, speaking about his art-making process. And we revisit a conversation with David Leha, Gamilaroi and Tonga man, more famously known as singer Radical Sun. But first, we take a look at some stories from NITV news team Summer Yarns series, looking back at deadly stories of individuals and communities from around Australia in 2023. There's been a joyous celebration in Northern Territory community of Menangira to honour senior school graduates. Students and their families celebrated Graduation Day Manangrida style, swapping caps and gowns for traditional markings representing their song lines. English is fourth or fifth language for many of the six students receiving their Year 12 education certificate from Magrida College. To keep culture alive, students also receive credits for cultural responsibility and leadership through a new scheme called the Aboriginal Cultural Recognition Program. It's a bit hard to wear learning, but, yeah, if you're smart enough, and, yeah, you can understand yeah, language and English. The people here are sharing the knowledge in both ways, so revitalising our older culture and bring it back for our new generation to come. It's not about us, but for next generation. Traditional owners in northeast Arnhem Land are celebrating the return of a long-lost bark petition missing for 60 years. The petition was one of four sent to the federal government in 1963, voicing opposition to mining on their country. Song and ceremony marking a very special return to country. The missing fourth bark petition now back at Yirikala, the place of its creation 60 years ago. I was so privileged to welcome back our heart and soul from our 13 clans that put their mind, one mind, one heart, one soul to 
to fight and to tell the Australian government, democracy, that who we are, we are still here. The petitions were the first to be written in both an Australian First Nations language and English, calling for consultation with Yongu clans over bauxite mining on the Gove Peninsula. The petitions were signed by nine men and three women. It's really a story about having a voice. Yongu weren't opposed to mining per se. What they were opposed to was the fact that their land could be encroached upon, that their laws were broken, that their parliament themselves here was disregarded. The last bark petition was finally tracked down in Derby in WA's far north, the final piece in an important historical jigsaw. So locating it and being able to facilitate the return of that petition to country, to its home here, has been an extraordinary privilege um, and you know, really the culmination of my uh, career as an historian. Just one of the signatories to the bark petitions remain 83-year-old Dungila Munungur. To have Dad as the sole um, surviving signatory today is, is an honour. It, it's, it's an honour for me and my family. It's an honour for our friends and the community to be able to, you know, know Dad that he's still here. The three other bark petitions are on display in the nation's capital. Two sit in Parliament House, another at the National Museum. This final missing link now set to hold pride of place at the local arts centre. Guy McLean, NITV News. Welcome back. I'm your host, Nari Pakai, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Next up, NITV Radio's Saka Pachova speaks with Gamilaroi artist Dennis Golding. Dennis Golding is a multi-award winning Gamilaroi artist. He works with a range of mixed media, including painting, video, photography and installation. The most famous probably are his iconic superhero capes. And he's also teaching workshops to children and youth to create these. And Dennis Golding is now joining us on NITV Radio. Hello, Dennis, and welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Dennis, can you please tell us a bit more about yourself, who your people are and where you come from? Yeah. Um, well, my family moved to the city um, back in the 1970s, late 60s, uh, from Biripo country, so the mid-north coast of New South Wales, and Camilleroy, uh, the northwest of New South Wales. And um, we grew up in the community in Redfern when it provided ab- Aboriginal affordable housing um, a lot of families moved to this community as well and so a lot of the work that I talk about is often drawn from those experiences of living in urban space, uh, fam- familial histories that are drawn from country and connections between the city and country life and my work often talks about um, these experiences we have as as young people, uh, childhood memories that um, really create an empowering representation of Indigenous cultural identity. For one of their works, you won the New South Wales Visual Arts Emerging Fellowship in 2020 as the first Aboriginal man in its history. And it was for your work, Cast In and Cast Out. Can you tell us more about this artwork, please? Yeah, this was an exciting body of work because it was the very first time introducing the exploration of cast iron fences. So these wrought iron um 
lace panels that feature all around these terrace homes in Sydney, um, as well as down in Victoria um, and Queensland. They're very iconic um, featured, um, you know, Victorian designs that, that are featured on these homes. And so I was exploring these objects and, and looking at the objects that featured on the houses that I lived in down in Redfern, and I lived across five different terrace houses down in Everly Street and Vine Street of the block. And I found a remnant of this fence um, once it's removed from the terrace house at this old factory and, and collected it and started to recast the object um, with using um, silicon and, and re reproducing it with epoxy resin. Uh, and it was a really great way of understanding the processes of, of casting and, and resonating that the title of the artwork, you know, of that family story of coming in to the city, uh, but through the guise of gentrification, you know, our people and our communities have been removed once again, uh, dispossessed from their community. And so being cast out um, resonated to the title, but also to the making of the material as well. Mm -hmm. And another of your works, I think it's truly iconic now, are the superhero capes. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us a bit more about those, please? Yeah, I actually started back in art school um, exploring the motif of the cape. Um, it wasn't until third second or third year art school, I, I majored in painting. Um, and there was this course um, assignment um, called Painting Futures, a very intense six-week workshop uh, course where um, I was very interested in iconography, um, particularly Indigenous cultural iconography, uh, but how can we start to establish, you know, contemporary narratives in urban spaces using these icons and, and symbols that often talk about Indigenous knowledge and history and traditional practice? Um, so I kind of contrasted both the idea of the superhero cape and... Uh, indigenous iconography and, and creating a, a much empowering notion of indigenous cultural identity and where where the cape came from is um this very special memory i have living in redfern it was my sixth birthday where mum gave me a, a batman costume um, which was a very powerful gift, I think. And when you do put something like a cape on, you feel that sense of empowerment and strength. And you might remember that as a kid as well. When you put a costume on, you feel strong. And that's something that resonated with this experience of the future is here, is that we're working with our young people and working with this motif of the cape to have its power and to give that strength and that empowerment to our communities. So the superhero capes, as they are drawn from childhood memory, um, they also talk about, you know, these empowering notions of Indigenous cultural identity and what the power could hold within the young person. Um, but also it's really powerful, this exhibition, because that childhood memory of uh, these capes, of why we choose to have these capes on is to reflect on ourselves as superheroes, as the heroes and, and not the villains. And growing up, you know, down in Redfern in the block, I seen a lot of uh, our people um, in the relationship that we had with, with the police, which wasn't so good. And as a child, you start to think of that and start to think, you know, uh, why are we being spoken to or pulled up along the street? Are we somehow 
the villain in this community. And so I think of that childhood experience and that memory um, that's at the history in Redfern, uh, but this is creating a, a much more um, celebration and an empowering way of, of our own bodies as Aboriginal people. Um, so it was a really special project and uh, I'm still working with the superhero capes and very proud that it's on tour. Hmm. Actually, when I saw the, the photo of you in the superhero cape, I thought, oh, you know, I would love to have one. And it is possible because you are teaching workshops. Yeah, yeah. There's a. I feel like it just resonates so well with young people um, who are at that age now when, when they do put something on like a cape, they feel powerful. And because this, um, the capes are drawn from my own childhood memory, um, it, it made sense to do the workshops across, um, you know, each of the galleries that host this exhibition. And apart from teaching the workshops, what are your plans for 2024? Um, I hope to travel with the, the tour in, in a few spaces, um, particularly in Wagga Wagga. I'm really interested in uh, doing a, a series of workshops because the capes and young people um, is a way of activating the exhibition, but also understanding what the exhibition came from. And, and this exhibition, The Future Is Here, is a result of a collaboration between myself and a, over 100 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students from Alex Park Community School. And there was 100 of these kids from kindy to year 12, they participated in this workshop. Um, and that's what's featured in the exhibition. And so we want to do this across communities and working with young people, working with elders and community members to take part in, in celebrating um, this exhibition, but also, you know, creating their own superhero capes to help them think about their own culture, their own identity and how they can start thinking about their own superpower. Mm, that's beautiful. And one more question. I actually came across your work when I was taking my daughter to the gymnastics center at Heffron, at Heffron Park, and you have been working on the murals there. Can you please tell us more? Yeah, yeah. I've been um, I've been lucky to be commissioned uh, and collaborate with other artists in public art. Um, it's been really interesting field of work. Um, you know, aside from working in the gallery space, it's um, public art is accessible to all of our communities, you know, and um, that's one thing I really enjoy about um, creating public artworks is that it's um, in community, it's it's out in the public space for anyone to come across to see. Um, they don't need to necessarily go into the gallery space. Um, they can see it as they drive or walk by. So um, that's a special thing to be part of. Mm. Do you have any more plans for public art? Uh, yeah. So I'm currently in another collaboration with artist Carmen Glenn Braun. Um, together we formed our own collective called Rewrite. And so we are uh, commissioned to do another uh, a mural around Sydney Airport, uh, which will be coming out later this year. Amazing. Well, Dennis, thank you so much for telling us all about your artwork and about your projects. And uh, thank you for joining us on NITV Radio. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. That was Dennis Golding, a multi-award winning Gamilaray artist. Stay tuned for a revisit to a conversation with David Leha, Radical Sun, after the break.
And that's all we have time for today's program. You can listen back to the program anytime online or catch any of the stories on our website at sbs.com.au. NITV will be back next week with more stories from right across the country. Thanks so much for listening. I'm your host, Nari Pakai, and you enjoy your weekend.